1: I'm April Vokey and you are listening to Anchored, my chance to speak with some of the most influential people involved in the outdoors today. Join me as I travel to sit face-to-face with my guests in their own homes to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both indoors and out. Whitney Gold is a spay casting instructor and a six-time casting champion. She is a full-time fishing guide who started guiding in Alaska before adding Oregon, California, and Montana to her resume. This winter, Whitney and I met up for lunch in Montana, but decided to sit down for a last-minute podcast. In this episode of Anchored, Whitney and I talk about her upbringing, her introduction to the fly fishing industry, spay casting, and trout fishing in Montana.
2: I was born in London, England. Oh, really? Yeah. You're from England? I, yeah. I lived there until I was two. So I can't really say I was from England. Are your parents English? No. No. My mom and dad, my dad grew up in upstate New York, and my mom grew up in North Dakota, Grand Forks. And so they were bringing up three kids at the time. My younger brother hadn't been born, and my dad had been transferred to London. And he was working for a company out of a, a steel company out of Niagara Falls, where my brothers were born. Okay. okay, so, where did you guys come when you came back to the u s? Um, they moved directly to Connecticut. So they oh. were, yeah, so I grew up in Connecticut. And with a focus, uh, my dad worked in New York City. and my mom worked in Hartford, so they commuted in two hours in each direction. Okay. What is Connecticut known for? You have to excuse my ignorance here. Uh, What is Connecticut known for? I I always knew it as a suitcase community. Oh, is that (laughs) that really what it is? You know, I'm sure it's known for a lot more. (laughs) When I grew up in Connecticut, we always grew up there thinking that it was a temporary thing, why my parents brought it. So that's the idea that they were always thinking, well, we're going to move somewhere else when you guys get to a certain age. So we always thought, for me, it was a place where my parents brought us kids up and got us through school, and, and they were able to work both times. I had grew up, and uh, both of my parents were working professionals. And that's actually how I started to fish.
1: Oh, when yeah. I met you, I thought you were just getting out of being a working professional Yeah, as well.
2: exactly. I mean, when I grew up, I was, uh, always had a very East Coast trajectory. It was expected me, and I expected myself to— Sorry, Whitney. That no, me I love your your... the fact that she's here. It's like church, you know? You never take a child out of church until <laughs> they start to cry. Oh, <laughs> okay, East Coast. So, so very East Coast trajectory where uh, I was, went to school— and was expected to go to college. And I wanted to go to college. And I wanted to go to graduate school. And I never thought that there was anything else. You know, I thought that I was going to move to New York City, I was going to get a job, I was going to get married, have kids, the whole nine yards. And that just didn't work out for me. My life unfolded in a very different trajectory. And so it became very different than what I expected. And I love my life now, and I loved my life then, but they're two different worlds in a lot of ways. But I feel that that former life informed this life in a lot of ways too. I still have those East Coast values that I bring to what I do now, which is learn a skill and learn it well. Mhm. So
1: what were you doing when I met you in Oregon? Oh,
2: yeah, I was working for a landscape architecture firm. That's right. God, I was so bad at that. I, I was so <laughs> bad at it. It's just, it wasn't, I mean, I always, when I went into landscape architecture, I always thought that I would be, like, out in the field and, like, digging and stuff like that. I'm, like... I was at a computer all day long, like coordinating construction documents, and for me, like sitting still, you know me, yeah, <laughs> and trying to stay focused. <laughs> it, was just, it was a nightmare. but Ugh. you were fishing at that time. I was fishing, yeah, but not professionally. I, no. what's the timeline with that? We were doing like eighty hour work weeks, and okay. so there wasn't much other to happen there and I was making a small salary living in San Francisco it just wasn't working so I decided to move to Portland Oregon before I moved back east so yeah I learned how to uh, spay cast when I was well started to learn how to spay cast when I was in California and uh, moved up to Portland Oregon and realized that there I could actually fish and I grew up fishing I wasn't any very good at it. You know, I was the the weekend warrior or with my brother. We used to go out to Breezy Point when I lived in New York or up to Salem, New York. Or we'd do the yearly destination trips with my parents because they were working professionals. And that's what they did. They loved to fish and they got us into fishing. Why spay casting?
1: You Um, just woke
2: up one day? Because you've been taking a long time, right? Yeah, I just, it was an accident as pretty much everything in my life is. (laughs) I mean, not a happy accident. I'm just kind of like, oh, I'll try that. It was, uh, I saw a guy, Mariusz Spay Casting at the Golden Gate Casting Clubs. And uh, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And um, this guy, Frank Chin, it was like, oh, you could do that. And I was like, yeah, right. And uh, they started to teach me how to do it. And my first rod was a 10-weight, a 15-foot Sage 1. And not Sage 1, no. Sage Brownie. <laughs> how long with? ago was it, with, though? Like, this isn't this yesterday. This is like 2007 say six five 2005 so it wasn't that long i mean i haven't been doing it that long and uh so i moved up to oregon and started fishing and i i still used my single hand rot fly rod and uh i remember going to the shoot angler and meeting amy and amy selling me my first steelhead taper for that rod and gave me some flies and said well just go up the river and i went up river <laughs> (laughs) It was a disaster. Like, everybody's walking downstream, and I'm walking upstream. Right. First things. And I'm getting yelled at left and right. And I'm like, what is wrong with these people? It's like, I could go back to New York for this. Yeah. Right? Because is that how you were fishing over there? Were you fishing Well, I was a trout trout fisherman. You know, and I always always worked. You work upstream, right? For sure, yeah. Yeah, so it never occurred to me, like, you know, oh, yeah, steelhead. I didn't even know what they were. (laughs) Yeah. And, um... So I was working my way upstream, and then there were snakes. (gasps) Nobody told me there were snakes on this river. (laughs) Rattlesnakes. Rattlesnakes, yeah. Well, first thing, I'm sitting there in the water, and I'm petrified of snakes. And I'm sitting there, and this bright green snake comes swimming right up to me, and is looking at me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I get out of the water, and now I'm walking upstream. (laughs) Still upstream. It's still not (laughs) clued in. And I'm walking up this bank, and it's spring, so there are a lot of snakes out. And then and there was a rattlesnake right there on the rock. And I had never I was just like read about rattlesnakes. I've seen them in like Nova specials. I've never actually seen a snake rattlesnake in full life. I was so petrified like I couldn't go in the water I couldn't go on the shore I like got in the car and went back to Portland that day I was like I'm done with this <laughs> just like I'm getting yelled at there's snakes everywhere <laughs> I don't know how to cast a stupid stu- line I don't yeah so it's, it's, it's hilarious so well yeah and it wasn't until later somebody lent me a uh, two-handed rod and said you know you should go try that again and I did and then I became everybody's pain in the butt (laughs) because you just wanted to know everything I just wanted to know everything I wanted to fish all the time I just was clueless you know I was that person who over enthusiastic and probably got in the way all the time. <laughs> I was just like, oh, why is that person so angry with me? But it worked though. I mean, oh, it worked. Yeah, yeah. Because I like you know, I see something and I see somebody doing something different, or I see something and I just want to know why, I want to know how, and I want to know about that person. And I'll go up and I'll just talk to people and and ask, you know. And, and I still do. I mean, I still get lessons I still am curious about things I still you know want to learn I'm taking lessons right now from Greg Benzavega to help me with my D loop like which and and what I need to just make clear and I
1: I will probably include this in the write-up is Whitney is the the world's female casting champion casting champion. Yeah, You put in so much time. Yeah, it's since 2005, but think about
2: all the hours upon hours of practicing and learning your craft. Yeah, no, that's true. I still practice. I was out there on Monday before I went and fished a few runs. I was like, oh, the wind's down. I'll go out and pull my two-hander out, my comp rod out, and work on some stuff. And then I went fishing in the afternoon. I mean, I have that luxury right now because the guide season's slow. It's December. So, you know, it's just, for me, it's something I do because it's fun and it's calming. Let's put it into yeah. perspective for people. What is yeah. your longest cast ever? Not in competition. I
1: mean, I trust you. You're honest. What's your longest cast?
2: Well, the the back of the wall is 150 feet and I've had it in the second pond um, with a 45 degree change of angle a few times. And I know that because people have told me and they've been there and seen it and I've had the duck from the fly a few times, so so it's one. Well, it's one sixty. Since one sixties, huge high one. You know, somewhere between one sixty and one fifty around there. You know, it's for me. It's just an obsession and a goal, and I just love to cast. And fortunate enough for me, there's a job for that because I can fish, and I've always loved fishing. I grew up fishing. It was something that. I like to do with my family and some friends I had at the time, we'd go fishing and by no means was I like, Hey, let's go every weekend and let's do this or that. And, but no, I, you know, I would go fish. I mean, as a kid and uh, my parents, because they were working professionals, they would sent us to, um, we'd go stay with my grandparents in North Dakota and they had a cabin across the border in, in Minnesota on one of the many lakes there. And so, You know, I ran around with a pack of kids from Minneapolis, a pack of dogs, and we'd fish, and we'd hunt turtles. and Hunt uh, turtles? Oh, yeah. No, we had turtle races. No. We would uh, catch these turtles, and we'd paint numbers on their backs, (laughs) silver numbers, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Every year we'd go back and wonder where our turtles went. Either They probably were like, you know, (laughs) I don't know. Who knows what happened to them.
1: (laughs) Um. So what about the transition then from... From working in this landscaping company to
2: fishing, what what happened? Um, I got fired. Oh, <laughs> 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 or laid off. I wasn't really sure. It was unclear to me, but like I basically, it came out later that I gotten fired. I thought I legitimately got laid off, but. Um. No, I got fired. Which <laughs> was a blessing then. Oh, it was a huge blessing. It was like I was either going to quit or they were going to fire me. So they fired me. Um, so I won. <laughs> <Bad> <laughs> um, so I got fired, and I didn't want to leave the the West Coast. I loved Portland. I really loved the outdoors. You know, all of a sudden, the whole world opened up to me. Like, something was just like I was always this kid who was outdoors. You know, rather than the the town reservoir to hang out on, now I just had like all these acres called the Columbia River Gorge, right? <laughs> and I was just like, just yeah. that, just that.
1: <laughs> and I mean, the um, Columbia gets more. St- let's just talk steelhead for a second. Yeah. It gets. More steelhead than any other basin in the world, right?
2: I guess so. Yeah, probably. Wow. I, yeah, it's huge. I mean, there's a lot of tributaries, and um, there's a lot of opportunities for fishing. And it's not only steelhead; there's trout, and which we're going to get into. The, we're, we're actually we're actually sitting down, believe it or not,
1: to talk about. Sp- spay casting and spay fishing for trout and Whitney is probably giving me daggers because I'm making her talk about herself right now because <laughs> she's not really one to talk about herself but your story's just too interesting not to so uh-huh. sorry I'm making you go down that road no
2: it's okay Um am so not you- <laughs> I tried to tell April, there are days you're interesting and days you're not. So you flip the coin in whichever day you get. (laughs) So I'd rather talk about something else. I have a secret for you. Every single day is interesting. It's just a matter
1: of if somebody can remind you that that day is interesting. Right, exactly. that's what I'm
2: here for. Yeah. So then what happened though? So you decided that you're going to stay in that region? I decided I was going to stay in that region and (laughs) I was looking for a job. And at that time I'd come across, I'm sure as everybody else did, this, uh, a video that had been put out by Sims and it was the Alaska West video. And I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. I was like, ah, they swing for kings and there's trout and they're in the middle of nowhere and God, I want to go there so uh, me being me I just started calling people <laughs> you know I was just like I hey it. I want to go <laughs> they're like well no <laughs> who are you what do you do I'm like I just want to go so finally I got to go and it was a rough summer you know there were some current curves like you were guiding there oh yeah I was guiding my they first hired you just out of nowhere to guide. but no but at that point I mean, you had, I, a I, name, had right? I had a name I, and I'd met Andrew Bennett at Spearama, And then I had known enough people. I had uh, fished with Edward, had hired him as a guide up on the Skagit, and uh, I wanted to fish that and learn how to Skagit cast. I'm putting that in air quotes. Sure. <laughs> and so I sent Ed an email, and I sent Ed a lot of emails. So he referred me to Mike Sanders, who eventually hired me, who became a very good friend. And um, yeah, so I worked for the lodge. On, on and off for eight, 10 years yeah um, 8 years 10 I, you know it's like a number somebody's gonna time. sit here and yeah. calculate and go she's wrong no who, who <laughs> cares but wait, um, wait tell me about the. you're not gonna get off that easy tell me about that first year <laughs> oh that first year was rough <laughs> what's like that one day oh just showing up it was horrible oh, I got really? on that boat and I was going up river Trevor Kovich's brother was driving me up and I was going upriver, and I was like, "Oh my God, what did I do?" <laughs> I mean, like, I sit there, and I showed up in a camp, and it's all these guys, and I'm just like sitting there, going, "Oh no, I'm way over my head." And they, and they were, but they were all so sweet. They were like, you know. I threw Trevor out of my boat a few times coming around corners, learning how to drive. Was, I chowed a lot. I mean, like, like literally, he actually went out of the boat. Oh, he went out of the boat. Oh, yeah. So God yeah, goodness. no, I came around a corner and and all I could do was laugh, and I think that's why I made it through because it was so absurd. Like I'm just like <laughs> see Trevor like fly out of the boat, like. <laughs> I stood up and he looked at me like, what did you, like, what? And I was just started laughing hysterically. And then I think at that point he knew I was going to be okay because yeah. I didn't freak <laughs> right. out, right? But it was funny because like, yeah, no, I was definitely over my leg. The irony is I knew how to fish a two-handed rod. So the kings and stuff, I didn't really have any issues with. The boat driving, yes, that was that was rough at first, but I, I figured that out pretty quick. But then all of a sudden it turned transition to trout. Which is the irony of it. And that's kind of where I started realizing trout are fun and they're difficult and they're interesting and they're challenging.
1: It would have taken you, I remember once when I first met you, I think when you were still really, really into just steelhead. I yeah. remember you making a comment about oh trout for people who don't steal it or something like oh, that. Oh probably did. I was such a bitch. So, no
2: no, <laughs> no you no, weren't no. you weren't a bitch but I just you so were didn't know a Steelheader, right? Well yeah but I didn't know. I did this, like you don't you know you can make these comments about things you don't know anything about. Sure. And, so what trend And at that time quite honestly I probably didn't know anything about Steelhead. <laughs> you know? So, so do you remember the first learning time? who I was, right? Sure. Yeah. But do you remember the first time you caught a trout or you saw someone catch a trout and you went, oh. Yeah. I mean, for with a two-hand. I mean, prior to that, it was uh, always single-hand, um, you know, with a guide with my parents or me trying to kind of stumble along. And when I was in Alaska, I mean, I'm not trying to drop names here, but Ed was training me. And Ed's training thing was, uh, you know, training the new guides. His thing, his program was, well, we'll go work on the boat and then we'll go upstream and go trout fishing, swing for trout. So watching Ed and he was cutting up lines, he would cut up some lines and um, swinging for them with rabbit strips. And um, it was fun. Like I would just kind of follow around and just kind of following around. And that's what I do. You know, I've always grown up with brothers and I just kind of follow. You know, I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. You know, I'm the one who came back all bloody all the time as a kid because I'd be like, oh, okay, mindlessly following. And uh, it was fun. I think that kind of set the idea that you could do this. And uh, no, by no means was, you know, I'm not saying I'm the first person who ever did this. You know, it's not the point. I came out here and then I came back and I started guiding them at my husband.
1: Where were you guiding in, where, where were you guiding, were you guiding in California
2: or Oregon? I was, I was guiding in Oregon. So I Oregon. met my husband through Ed, actually. Um, he had referred me, um, Scott O'Donnell, Mike McCune for Spaywater Lodge were looking for a guide. And you're married to? Mike McCune, yes. Yeah. So. And, and Mike. But I wasn't at that time. Well, McCune, when you look at a MO tip. Yeah, he's the M. He's the M. Yeah, that's so my claim to fame. McCune. I'm married to the M. W married to the M. <laughs> but then it's O'Donnell and Ward. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. So, sure. um, And then then, then once again, I showed up feeling way out of my league, you know, and I showed up and there's this guy with a blue hood just sitting there and, you know, anxiety, first thing that pops out of my mouth was, where do I get food?
1: (laughs) That's what you (laughs) said because you were anxious? (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) And I'm in the middle of nowhere. And this guy looks at me and he's like, "Uh, well, you know, he kind of goes through the whole ropes and... So I pop over my trunk, and I looked at him. And I was like, do you want some macaroni and cheese? <laughs> he's like, what? <laughs> I pull on my Jet Boy and start cooking like copious amounts of macaroni and cheese. I poured like four boxes in the sinks. <laughs> and he's just like looking at me like, who are you? <laughs> um, anyway, so I was on his crew, and I worked on the Grand Ron for a couple of years. Uh, oh, so that's how, okay. Yeah, That's and... You got you know, I always went out every year out west to go trout fishing and um I convinced Mike to go out. And at this point there's no love interest. Oh no, no, we're 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 full on in a relationship. We were taking oh. care of Mike's mom at the time. Okay. So I was after the grand run, I'd go back and Mike's mom was ill at the time, so we were going back to California to take care of her. How did that all happen though? I mean I'm assuming that was after you made him four packages of macaroni and cheese. Oh yeah, definitely way after. <laughs> it was really funny cuz um I think, you know, people noticed before we noticed that we were kind of in love with each other. Or, yeah. You know, I think, you know, we clients would say stuff to us and we'd be like, what? So I worked for Scott and Mike. Well, it's actually Scott's business, Baywater Lodge, located out of Troy. And I worked for him for a long time. And But that always left the winners. And we would go back to California and Mike would go duck hunting and we were taking care of his mom. And so... The summers would come around and I'd be like, well, I didn't, some summers I didn't want to, I didn't go to Alaska so I could help Mike take care of his mom when she got really ill. And uh, so we went out to do some trots bay classes and headhunters hired us in some other places to teach classes. And Mike was like, this is kind of cool. And I got him involved in it. And of course, Mike being Mike, he's just so good at what he does. And he's so inquisitive and has such a rich knowledge of history of fishing. He took off with it and uh, really liked it. And so after everything kind of resolved itself with Mrs. McCune, we started talking about what we were going to do. And it came down to like, are you going to be a full-time guide? And I was like, yeah, I mean, this is what I like to do. I mean, at that point, I was so far out of landscape architecture. I couldn't go back. I mean, it would take years to learn the computer programs. and I didn't want to go back to reality. I mean, if yeah. I wanted to go back, I would have gone back. Um, because,
1: uh, and I, I did mention this when we weren't rolling, Whitney, it's really inspiring. Yeah, I'll, You'd be amazed. I think my number one question I get from people is, how do I... How do I leave a world like that and get into fishing? And I can never
2: give a true answer because I've always worked in fishing and waitressing, right? But you've done it. It's hard. And there was a time I didn't have any money and I was staying at the McCann's. And that's really where I kind of started honing in my casting. I was like, oh, gosh, you know, I don't know what to do. And casting was free. (laughs) (laughs) I just go cast. Um, So that's what I did. But we started coming out here and Mike's like, well, you know, steelhead guiding it's seasonal, one. Let, who knows the history of steelhead at this point? I mean, they're, they're, they're an endangered species. Um, trout are available. It's a great fisheries out here. There's some great fisheries. I love trout fishing. I think it's interesting. There's fish. Takes a lot of skill and technique, depending on what, how you do it, choose to do it. And uh, I, it's something that I can do with a two-handed rod. And I love fishing, and it doesn't matter to me what species I fish for. I just, I, you know, some people are like, I want fish that come out of the ocean, and I can understand that, but there's fish out here that are just equally challenging and fun and interesting, you know, where they come from. And, you know, Headhunters has given me an opportunity to, well, Headhunters, John Arnold and Mark Reisler are the outfitters I work for, and they both are co-owners of Headhunters, and They've given me an opportunity to guide for a trout with a two-handed rod. In Montana? In Montana. How um, did the Montana move? How did that happen? I just decided to come out and work for them. Um, oh, so they reached out to you when you were they, living? Well, in yeah, because we were doing trout spay classes out here. And oh, I, I see. I, I talked to John, and I just mentioned that I didn't want to go back to Alaska. Um, it's, it's tiring. You know, there's a time. It's great for a while. And then you're just like, it's time to move, to do something different, you know? So I came out here and quite once again, I'm like way over my head, like, <laughs> like, oh yeah, sure. I'll do that. You know, like, why not? You know, and you go do something and you're like, whoa, <laughs> what did I just get myself into? What, you what know? was an obstacle of being out here? Oh my God. There are so many boats. <laughs> like, oh, people. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Um, so many other guides, and it doesn't matter. But like, there are so many guides, and they're really good guides out here, you know. And you're do you know us anywhere else? You just you show up, and you kind of want to be kind of on the low key. You just <laughs> yeah. don't want to stick out. Like, please don't look at me. <laughs> you know, just Especially let me put my They're just kind of like, well, but um, you know. Luckily, I was working. I had, uh, met a great friend Beth, and she was pretty. Pretty great mentor and good help, and so you know you showed up, and I was like, once again, I was like, oh no, I'm way over my head again. I mean, I'd never chased a bobber before, and that's part of the job is chasing, chasing an indicator. Even when spay fishing, Um, no. So I spay fishing. You know, there's a time where you're going to spay fish, and there's a time where you're going to chase an indicator, and not every client comes out here to spay fish, right? They come out, they, you know, you have family, they've been coming out for years and years and they want to catch fish by whatever means. In the long term of it, my my goal is to be able to fish for a trout with a two-handed guide all year, 360 days a year. With Rio trout spay, it's a 22 foot head. The two and three weights are equivalent to a five and six weight single hand.
1: Are they nine
2: foot long rods like yeah. single hand rods? Two, no, 10 foot. 10, oh they're ten. 10 feet long. Yes, okay.
1: eleven. Are you talking about spay casting with single hand rods, or are you talking about sp- well, you can, mini? It,
2: I mean, I know you can do both, but what are you what are, what do are you doing? I, personally I like to fish with a two hander. Okay, rod. so you have a mini two hander. Mini two hander. And there's three weights? There are two and three weights. Two and, and three weight two handers? Yes. And how long are they? Uh, ten gosh, feet. Eleven? Eleven foot three inches. Okay, but they are they are they're spay rods. Pro- proper two handed rods. They're proper two handed rods. Is this a new thing, like a relatively new thing? I think it's. Last few years. In the last few years, it's taken a direction of very strong, like people are holding on to it and running with it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people come up to me and go, well, we've been spay casting for trout 10 or 15 years, you know, and you get sure. that. Um, like,
1: I mean, I do, so, I do a ton of it in New Zealand, right. but I am using a five, six weight.
2: Yeah. So, no, there are two and three weights rods. Cool. And, um, when we came out here a uh, year, a couple, I think it's about, about five or six years, and, you know, I get these numbers wrong. I'm just throwing numbers out. It's just who I am. We were bringing out some prototypes for Sage, and my husband, Mike McCune, was giving feedback to the designers at Sage for those rods and help them give with feedback, right, you know. What are you looking for in that kind of rod? I am looking for a rod that will fish effectively for the, the the species that I'm fishing for,
1: and right? are you're you using um, like a you said about around, around 22 foot head.
2: Yeah, so there's two lines. I personally like the Sage one. And the reason why I like the Sage one three weight is because it's versatile. I'm fishing for trout here in Montana, um, Missouri River trout to be specific. You know, the average trout can be anywhere from eight inches up to 20 inches. And then of course there's the twenty plus, but you know th- those those come later in the season when they're pretty big. So you don't want a rod that's going to overpower your fish, right? First of all, you need a rod that's going to be able to handle the tackle that you're fishing for those fish, meaning that you wouldn't want to take an eight weight and put a four x leader on it. It's just not going to work. So I'm using trout spays that are designed. To fish for this fishery, streamers, S- streamers, uh, soft tackles. Wait, um, oh, so like, are you fishing weighted streamers like brown trout streamers? Uh, no. So there's two different things. Let's start out with streamers
1: because that's going to change. I always yeah. look before I choose a rod and a line. I always look at the fly and I work
2: backwards from right. there. Okay, so the, that's what's so great about these three weights or these new trout spaces is that they're built to be able to turn over these streamers because that's that's part of the fishery. So uh, we have that this gadget heads. How short would they be for a three-weight? Well, um... You got like a six-foot Skagit line? <laughs> 16 feet. Oh, okay. Yeah, 16 gotcha. feet. Um, 11 feet. You know, they can go as short as well. Oh, I was feet. kidding, but okay, they really do get 11 <laughs> get, feet long. Yeah, oh, they, my gosh. Okay. Um. So these yeah, are That's not, Mike's <laughs> one. He loves 11 foot. <laughs> and it's a great fishing tool, but not everybody can cast it, let's be real.
1: But it's designed then for Skagit casting, right? Yeah. I mean, well, rem- remember I'll back...
2: touch and dough casts with them.
1: For sure, because yeah, yeah. you're also Whitney Gold. Oh. You can probably cast anything. But I mean... Thanks. Back, back in the day, though, when... Remember, this was there wasn't as much of a spay market back then. So rather than make a three weight or a five weight spay rod, as such, they would make a switch rod so that you could justify spending the money to buy it. These are not switch rods, no, no, no. These are real spay rods, and and these lines you can't, you can't. It doesn't sound like you could comfortably overcast them. I mean, you
2: can overcast them, but they're not designed to be over overhead cast. Uh yeah, you can overhead cast them. Is that what they're designed for though? No, no. They're designed for spay casts. Uh, um touch and go. So you don't have waterborne casts, yeah. So you were saying though, so you have these little short skadget lines. So we have these short skadget lines and they fit to the head um I like personally I like running lines. I don't like the integrated heads. And um for me personally it's just more practical when I'm guiding. I can change out heads. But I also like different running lines for different reasons. Sometimes when it's colder, I'll use a, a running line that's coated, a little bit thicker, easier to hold on to. Because when you are trout spaying, you need to be able to manipulate that line. You know, you're not just out there casting away, swinging the run, and walking down. Sometimes you can do that. It works, especially in Alaska. But you're fishing for trout. You're fishing mending
1: for... And presenting. You're mending
2: and you're presenting the fly and you're trying to figure out how they're eating it and that's what's so much fun you're figuring out how they're eating it and what they're eating
1: so how do you do all your mends with an 11 foot skagit and like a monofilament
2: running line um i do a bunch of different mends it's not that difficult i mean you just kind of figure out what it is you're doing like if i want to sink the line i'm maybe pull it back and do a pull mend or if i want to you know get that fly to sw- switch around or reposition that fly i'll do a big mend i mean it's the same thing how far are you casting, though? It's not like you have a hundred feet of running line between oh, no, you. no, hell no! Excuse right. my language. No, 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 you're not. You're 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 fishing for trout. A lot of trout are right at your feet. You know, I'm not casting that far out, and you, you don't want to be out there. So, you know, the reality is, out there is probably too fast or too slow. It depends on what time, and that's the other thing. These fish transition depending on their winter water or summer water, spring water, where they're going to be. Are they more surface oriented? you know, or their flies coming off. And when they get more surface oriented, I will, will put a scandy line on and a couple soft tackles and we'll swing that or strip them or just dead drift them or, or just let them sit in that foam. Or sometimes I'll even strip a soft tackle and those will sit on top of the surface or just below the surface. You're using, I use a 4X tippet. I mean, a 4X leader, a nine foot 4X leader. I'll use tippet rings and and I'll configure my flies depending on what it is I want to do. And sometimes I'll put a little bit of weight on the front, one on the top fly, like I'll have a bead on top so the other one will sink a little bit. But if the caddis are on top, why go under? You know, I'll put a, like a caddis pupa or something on top, not, not a caddis pupa, but I'll put some sort of imitation and have that on the a dry fly on, top, on the bottom one and swing that. And... It works. Well, I
1: have a question for you about but stripping. It, that's,
2: yeah, I mean, soft tackles fishing you yeah. been around before. Right. <laughs> trout beads. Right, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, you could get fish before you could use trout beads. <laughs> Put a soft tackle on. Do you have a running line that you prefer to strip with? Um, well, I like... Okay, so... I like something I can hold on to, right? So for me personally, I if I use a mono, I'll use a, a like a 0.024, like something a bigger, sicker, uh, something I can hold on to and strip and make sure that, you know, my loop connection at the head is pretty small mm-hmm. sometimes. So I'll, uh, I shouldn't say this, but I'll. I won't do loop to loop. I'll just tie straight to it. Straight to it, so I can strip right in. Um, well, that was my
1: next question. My biggest deterrent when I'm trying to trout fish with that kind of setup or with a shooting head is mm-hmm. when I go to strip my fly all the way in, mm-hmm. it gets really awkward. There's that junction point that you know it gets caught right. in your eyelets. Yeah. but also it just all that heavy weight
2: in the front, you like you'll look down and you'll see the line sagging through your guides. you know what I'm yeah, talking about? I know. So, you know, that that's interesting because uh, what I'll do is I'll get to the head and then I'll just start bringing my rod tip further in oh, and, right. and, and stripping my tip that way. And they'll take it down on the dangle right there. And that's, that's how I solve that problem. And in these, you know, you're not, like I said, you're not Casting a 50-foot head. So. Yeah,
1: and people couldn't see, but what she's doing is she's jolting her rod, basically bouncing and jolting her rod tip while moving it inwards. So it's giving the appearance of stripping inwards, but yeah. it, it's you manually moving the rod.
2: rod. And I always have my hand on the on the running line. Yeah, I don't, when I, you know, when you set the hook, I'll, I'll set it not pretty much like I do a dry fly. Strip set and then pull the rod tip up. But that manipulation of the hand in the fly line is key to trout spaying.
1: I don't know that much about the Montana trout here. Uh-huh.
2: What's the ratio of browns versus rainbows where uh, you're guiding? Uh, yeah, I don't know.
1: Do you cast um, both, though? Or are they you both? You cast there?
2: both of them. Spring, we were fishing for browns. Okay. Uh, I like to fish for browns. The, the trout are, a lot of the trout are spawning, so I try to stay off the spawners. And we'll fish target browns. For the, in the browns, I'll use bigger, you know, your traditional streamers um, with a sink tip and... You know, I'll vary my sink tip or the weight of the fly. Actually, I I vary mostly the weight of the fly. I don't, you know, I can manipulate the presentation on how um, and then the depth depending on what fly I'm casting. So I don't use big, heavy tips just because in the spring I'll be fishing slower water and I don't want to be on the bottom all the time. Yeah. So then it'll start transitioning. The fish will start moving out of that winter water. Things start to warm up. The fish start to move to the banks. They move to the faster water. So you start targeting that water, right? And you can start using, uh, you know, lighter tips, lighter flies. They'll take a faster strip, you know, that kind of thing. You start looking for different water. And then comes, you know, you know, it starts transitioning to June, July, where there are so many boats on the river. It'd be pretty obnoxious for me to be standing there in the middle of the river. So then I will kind of back off on the trout spay thing because my fishery, honestly, at that time of year, there's just so many boats and people doing different things.
1: Oh, so you back off. It's not that you're backing off the fishery because casting t- takes too much space. You're backing off guiding in general?
2: No, I guide. I guide out of the boat. So, so, Well, because, you know, people, it's dry fly. I mean, I love dry flying. People love to dry fly. Um, but
1: you can spay fish the dry fly.
2: You can. But no, so I, I I'm not going to spay fish a dry fly why because for you know part of the dry fly thing is like you, you know you realize i'm pretty new to this but the excitement of dry fly is targeting a fish right dead drifting that getting that fish to take that fly is just the watching that eat is just so intense and so cool you're like cool eat, you know whether you get it or not that's i have to remind myself that people really want to get them I'm just like coolie. You know, right? I'm like, Done. Let's it's like move cool on. It didn't take, right? Yeah, I'm like move on. But you know?
1: we we spay cast dry flies and, and target fish all the time for steelhead. We do, and so, but that's
2: that's you know that's a different technique, right? You're talking waking right now. Yeah. So you're when you when you're dry flying with a for steelhead, you're waking a fly. Yeah. And when I and when I think of dry flying here, I think of dead drifting. I think of presenting that fly. So that's the difference.
1: So is it just the grain weight of the lines that make it difficult to do that, or is it just the presentation as a whole?
2: It's the presentation. I think you know. I mean, because at that point it's sinking, right? If you're if you're waking a dry fly,
1: if you're waking, but couldn't you do an upstream snake roll and then just mend that line? The only thing See, is, it you would could, suck You could with high the, stick it. Yeah, you yeah, could stick and it. You
2: do. You do. I mean, the point is, is I don't want to do it. If I'm going to go dry fly fishing, I'm going to go dry fly fishing. That's the point. And so if I want to go swing soft tackles on the surface, I'm going to go swing soft tackles on the surface. And I am going to dead drift those soft tackles at times, but that's different for me in my mind.
1: Do you get in a situation ever on that river where you don't have back casting space? Oh, all the time. So do you just, in that case, you just obviously have them do a spay cast with their single hand Uh rod? Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So I guess the difference here is because you're coming You're coming from B.C. I'm actually thinking more New Zealand right now. New Zealand. And you guys don't fish out of a boat. No. No. And so we do not spay cast out of the boat, right? Oh, but some people do, but you do, guys, you guys I don't, don't. No, I do not. I don't, you know, I don't see the point. What I do, like, so, but I will fish out of the boat. So I dry fly fish out of the boat. But I like to get out and wade. Yeah. And that's what's so great about swinging for trout, it's, you're not necessarily going to get every fish in the run. But I, I've never been that interested in that either, you know? I'm not the person who posts every picture of every fish I ever <laughs> caught. In fact, I barely take pictures. Like, it seems to be an issue, <laughs> but not for me. Um, but So we swing for soft tackles, and I love August, you know? I mean, I swing. It's like the Missouri River is perfect for it, at least the two seasons I've been there, which is not a lot, so... I mean that's just have to be honest there. But it's you know, you have trichos and But
1: are we still talking browns and rainbows?
2: Because no, we're that's talking how rainbows this all now. Yeah.
1: Okay, now we're in rainbows. So browns are more winter rainbows. No, are...
2: no, no. I you can't really say that. I'm just saying that, that, you know, there are different times I catch different fish, right? I'm targeting browns in the spring, whereas I'll target rainbows in the fall. Gotcha, because gotcha. The browns gotcha. Are, are but that's that's it. I'm t- basically I'll fish for anything that'll take it. Other than that, if they're not spawning,
1: let me just kind of give it
2: some context so
1: you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. So I started fishing New Zealand for the uh-huh. last six years or so, Right. and I bring my my double hand rod down there. Mm-hmm. And on the especially on the North Island, I'll go through behind people, and it's almost I almost feel bad because you know f- six guys will have gone through, and I'll go through, and I will literally get a fish every third cast. Yeah. They're they are all. Rainbows. Right. I very rarely catch browns on a swung streamer when I'm spay casting, oh. and I and I wonder, and I just don't know if it's me or, or what. But are browns more Maybe prone to taking just not stripped? There. No, they're there. <laughs> Charles will go through with a dead drifted nymph, and he'll catch the browns. I catch the rainbows. Oh, yeah. So are browns? Are you finding in Montana that browns are more prone to taking stripped flies, or are they taking swung streamers?
2: Uh, they're taking both. Okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, they're they're predators. They're going to take it. So what's difference is they're going to take it the way they want it when they want it. I wonder if
1: it's water clarity. How clear is the water here?
2: Uh, it can get clear. It's yeah. milky. It's it, so the Missouri is a, uh, a dam. It's a
1: oh, it's so it's head controlled. Water. Okay, yeah,
2: gotcha. Yeah. It's, but it's not gin clear then. It can be
1: really. So can you sight fish for some of these fish? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, cool.
2: Oh yeah. No, when we're when we're swinging soft tackles, I mean, you'll see a pot of fish and you'll swing it through there. You and can see these fish rising. They're you not line shy? uh, shy Well, hopefully they'll see the fly first, right? <laughs> you would hope. <laughs> you would hope. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I, I'm sure they are line shy <laughs> so, who knows? I mean, it's just, you know, it's fun. And that's the whole thing about it. It's so much fun. Yeah. And it's it's just so cool. And it's, it's like... Um, God, you know, I'm sorry. I don't answer all your questions. The
1: thing about trout fishing is it's really hard to answer a lot of questions and have it be standardized. There are no standard answers because it's always different, right? Like the right. river systems are different. The, the trout in different systems are different. Yes. The setups are different. The casters are different. It's right. it's really hard to standardize. The mentality so.
2: of each river is different. You know, you've Absolutely. got people here who think stream. You know, they have a different opinion of a freestone river versus a... Uh, controlled river, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, everything's different.
1: What about these indicators? So can you and do you spay cast with a two-handed rod
2: indicators? indicator? Um, I don't. <laughs> I know people do. It's not for me. You is know? it
1: just, is it, is it that it's just that you don't, don't do see any... I don't the point. No dead, you, it sounds like you don't, it's not like you're being a snob right now. No. Because you said the same thing with dry flies. Yeah. So you just don't, you're not into dead drifting... To into dead drifting at no. all or, or at all with a spay rod.
2: Well, you know, with a spay rod, sometimes you are dead drifting, right? But I'm not, and, and with, you know, I'll high stick it, right? Or I'll do something different. But um, no, part, I mean, part of fishing a spay rod is you like the grab. Right? Can we elaborate right on
1: that a little bit? Because I was explaining this the other day to somebody who thought I was being a snob about not wanting to
2: fish an indicator. It, it's not that I'm against indicators. It, that's a visual. And it took me a while to yeah. figure that out. I was like, oh, the indicator went down, you know, it's yeah, cool. strike,
1: right, strike. And I, I, boom, I always say know? it's like, it is, it's like a haunted house. Like I could go through the haunted house with the lights on and it's fun. Yeah. I like seeing the guy, the ghost mm-hmm. come, but it's a lot more fun when the lights are off and it's a surprise. You know, yeah, I, yes. I, li- I like having the, mm-hmm. the line ripped out of my hands. Yeah,
2: yeah. And But th- what's cool about fishing a soft tackle on right now, and it's like, you know, I mean, there's a lot of history behind soft tackles and tying soft tackles, but there's also a lot of history behind fishing soft tackles. And what I've becoming really intrigued by is you can actually see some of the fish take the soft tackle. And you're like, oh, cool eat. But soft hackling as once again for fish that are feeding fish. So you wouldn't fish a soft tackle all year because sometimes there's not a lot of bugs on the water because it's twenty one degrees outside. Right. So you fish a streamer. And um, there's a lot of different ways to fish a streamer here. And you either you can you can strip it or as you can say you can swing it, you can twitch it, you can do a combination with the both. Yeah, there's. there's um, like I said. It's not. It's so you situational, can do a right? Swing. Yeah, it's. It is situational. I mean, you're looking at, and that's what's fun about it, right? No two pieces of water are like you know. The fish can all of a sudden transition. They'll be eating something one minute, and the next minute, you're like, "Ooh, that, what just happened?" <laughs> so that does happen, huh? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, definitely. That would know? drive me crazy. Oh, but that's what's so much fun about it. You How know, do you figure
1: just, it out though? Like if they go off one hatch. What is a reason why they would go on to something else?
2: Because it's available.
1: Because it's hatching.
2: Yeah, it's because it's there. You've
1: got to watch what's coming off the water. Turn rocks. Figure
2: it out. And that's you know that's the one thing like the local knowledge is really cool and beginning to guide on the Missouri. You know that's something I'm having to learn and There are days that you get your butt kicked out there. Mm -hmm. You're like, what just happened? But you know that's but that's what I love about guiding. You know it's fun and it's interesting and it's a mind thing. You know, you just start getting involved in it and thinking about what's ahead of you, and oh, what's something? You know, you know, the crickets start coming, and conversation. In your boat starts getting like quiet. You're like, oh boy, I gotta shake this up yeah. somehow.
1: <laughs> One thing that doesn't yeah. kick your ass is casting. So I've had my ass kicked. <laughs> I think I think you getting your ass kicked and the general public might be a very different thing. <laughs> okay. Let's talk to the general public right now. So okay. Joe Blow wants. To spay cast. He wants to spay cast a streamer. He wants to do a double spay to get his streamer to a trout. Okay. He doesn't have a two-handed rod. Okay. But he has a single-hand rod. Let's talk how he can do a spay cast with that single-hand rod.
2: I don't teach um, spay casting any different when it comes to a a two-handed single-hand rod. You don't get them to put their bottom hand on the butt, do you? No. No. I have them but I teach the same principles. It's the same thing. I start from the dangle. Right? Where's the dangle? The dangle is downstream, the end of the swing. So I'd have them start from the dangle. I'd have them lift the rod. When I have them lift the rod, there's something, there's, I, it's about a rod tip path. You don't want to lift the rod tip towards you, because what happens is you bring the rod tip towards you. You bring the line towards you, and you get slack. So I have them lift until that fly or the end of that fly line advances towards them. That creates a momentum and a direction. That's meaning that that fly line is now unsticking from the water. Then I'll have them reposition that line to the anchor. The anchor, what's the anchor? The anchor is the placement of the fly line on the side of the cast that you're going to create. But that with that aid of that anchor, you're going to create what we call the D loop or your back cast. Okay, the back cast in the single hand word I'd explain to him is equivalent to the same. And you know we'd break this down. This is the the, the short and quick. Uh, the back cast, the D loop, the V loop, or whatever, is equivalent to, say, your back cast is the back cast of the overhand, which is an aerialized back cast. You have to have an anchor in order to have a back cast, a, a back loop. So I'd say, okay, you're going to lift, and you're going to reposition that line so that your anchor point, part of that fly line and part of the leader, lands within that anchor point. Now, where's that anchor point? If you're casting off your right side, that anchor point is going to be on your right side. If you're casting off your left side, that anchor point is going to be on your left side. So it depends. You know, we're we're talking schematics here. We're we're out of the river, so I'm trying to make this as simple as possible. So if I'm on river left, let's say, what does that mean? I look down river and I'm on the left bank. The river is coming down, right down. So from my right side to my left, I'm going to do a, let's say, what a double, a snap a snap, snap tee. Yeah, okay, so I'm going to lift. And what's their other hand doing here? Because I always teach them I to always, do a haul while they're doing yeah, it. Yeah, I have my other hand on the fly line. On like the I say, yeah, on the fly line. And yeah. you're just going to kind of lift and come up and come around. You'd be amazed
1: how many people put two fingers on the butt of their six-way rod.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: so you got them as well holding their fly line.
2: Yeah, well, because it's line management. That's huge when it comes to fly casting. It's like you just you got to learn how to manage your fly line. I forget that every once yeah. in a while. And uh, so you lift, you reposition your fly line to the anchor point, and then you sweep to that anchor. At the top of the lift, you'll sweep to that anchor point, and then you'll create your back cast, and you pull to the forward target and stop the rod. That's really general. But, like, what I'd probably end up doing is first have the guy turn around and we'd start out with a roll cast and say, okay, this is the forward cast, right? And then say, well, okay, so it's a two-point cast, so you need to be able to figure out how you're going to get your anchor to your roll cast position. And that's the that's long and short of it. And then kind of work back and forth in between there, depending on where they're at. And but um, As a guide, yeah. is it
1: easier to teach the ball on a two-handed rod
2: than a single-hand rod? Uh, for for swing for for spay cast.
1: Mm
2: Um, no, it's not necessarily. It's it's more up to where the the where the guest is at. I mean, what their goals are, what their experience is, experience level is, and um, you know what they want. Everybody learns at their own pace. Everybody learns differently. And my job is to figure out how they learn and be able to work with that and be able to make it so that they can understand what they need to understand to get the cast done and quickly. But normally when I'm guiding, I don't focus a lot on the cast, I have to be honest, Um, you know, because... There's a point where you get people thinking about the cast so much, they forget mm. about the fishing, right? Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the day, they're like, you hear them say, oh, yeah, we got one fish today. And it sounds yeah. so disappointing. <laughs> You're just like, <laughs> <"Okay."
1: gasps> You know, so. Yeah, they rarely yeah. walk out of it and go, but you should have seen how nice my
2: D-loop was. My, my, my head's such a great yeah. D-loop. <laughs> and a good D-loop, I got to say, is sexy.
1: <laughs> so, See, I mean, you've studied casting so much. Is it kind of refreshing for you to go out there and not have to spend as much time focusing on the cast? Oh, Yeah. Definitely.
2: I yeah. love it. You know, there are times that I love, I have to say, there are times that I love just fishing out of the boat. I mean, that is a skill in its own right. And that, mm. that was a huge, that's a huge curve. I'm learning that. So, and there's, that's a skill in its own right. It's how to manage the boat, how to crab crawl. Yeah. How to...
1: What's a crab crawl?
2: It's a, it's a, a rowing technique. Helps you try to keep a straight line. You'd use it to, because you've got to match the pace of the boat with the water and the indicator. And you don't want to get too fast. You don't want to get too slow.
1: So it's just like one at a time, one on either side at a time? Yeah, the oars. Mm -hmm. But I've always wondered how how you guys handle having to go back to get a snagged fly. Will you just put your ass into it and back up into it and... Do yeah. your best, or do you just say sorry, mate? Like
2: bust it off. Yeah, it's the worst case scenario. I'm like <laughs> yeah. done. You got like, you got like ten boats coming down behind you, last, right. and you're like, oh, I'm sorry, I gotta go get this fly. Is there etiquette with boats behind you? Oh yeah, definitely. You don't want to drop anchor. Like if you're like going down river, and I'm learning it, you know, um, you like, and you all of a sudden you if somebody gets a fish on, you try to pull out of the lane or move over. So the other boats can row through. You don't want to drop anchor in front of you. You don't wanna you know, merging. You think about it highway, if you're somebody's coming down, you're not gonna all of a sudden merge pull the boat out in front of them and start going. You're gonna kinda let them go through and then go. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I guess so. We all make mistakes. I've made so many mistakes out there, it's ridiculous. But but, yeah, you try. there is there is definitely an etiquette to fishing out of a boat. Well, you seem really happy here. Oh, I love it
1: here. Are you going to be sticking around Montana for a while doing this, you think?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, this is it. I'll be working for John and Mark, who uh, own Headhunters. I'll be working for them for a while. Again, I got a jet sled now and uh, in the fall and the spring when there's less people on the river. Do some trout spay classes, uh, not classes, trips out of that, and just also out of my boat. Um, just rowing people from spot to spot to spot.
1: Yeah. Are you done with competing? Or are you going to compete again? Everybody
2: asks me that question. I I really don't know. I like you know. It, I go back and forth. I love casting. You know that. I mean, you, you we're friends. So you you know that I'm like can sit there and um, <laughs> cast and fit. And you know I'm obsessed with something right now, and I'm working on something. Um, but for competing for me, it's had this. For me, it's always been goals. And if I compete this year, I have a specific goal I want to make. So I've got to see where headspace I'm in. It's hard for me to compete. I know that that's hard for people to understand, but I'm not the most. I don't know how
1: you do it. I don't know how you do it.
2: Uh, I, you know, you can just play so many games with your own self. So and, and your it's priorities expensive. change. Yeah, your yeah. priorities
1: change too, right? You, you, yeah. uh, have you ever just wondered to yourself, why,
2: why am I doing this? <laughs> no. No, actually I haven't. Okay. Sorry. Don't want to put that in there. No, no. Um, why am I doing this? No, I haven't actually I just I just think of it's like every year for me it's like a goal. I've got a goal. I set goals and I'm like working towards that goal and that competition seems a milestone for that goal. And I've either achieved that goal or I need to go back and work on it some more. And I have a goal that I have yet to achieve. Um, and I'm working on it right now and uh working through something on a cast that I really want to get down, which sounds crazy to people, but, you know, it's it's my hobby. It's a passion. Do you
1: ever feel like you're defined by your casting?
2: Sometimes, yeah. But, you know, for me, I define myself as my casting is my hobby. My guiding is my job. And my personal fishing is my personal time on the river. It's a careful balance, and I try to keep it all in perspective and all them working on each other and um You know, I'm married and that's important to me. And I try to keep it all in balance and work careful balance with social media. That's a whole other conversation. Mm -hmm, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I just kind of quietly trying to do my own thing and see what happens. Well, it looks like you're you're landing on your feet, my friend. Thanks. I'm really happy. Thank you for coming on to the show. really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. (laughs) You bet. Ciao. And that concludes
1: this episode of Anchored. Thank you for listening.